HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, this is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. Today, I'm thoroughly delighted to have on the show Gordon Edgar, whose second book, Cheddar, has just come out. Welcome, Gordon. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Diane. You're very welcome. Okay, this book, first of all, has a pre-title and a subtitle. (laughs) Is that correct? Is that what you call them? That, 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 that is correct. That is, it, is correct. Is that what they're called? Oh, you know, I don't. You know, I, I'll, I'll tell you something. Here's a little secret about book writing. Ah. You know, I'm in charge of everything inside the covers, ah. but everything outside the covers, including you know the cover illustrations and okay. the titles and all that. You know, the publisher gets to decide that stuff. Um, you know, the, actually, it's funny because the original title of the book was called um, "United States of Cheddar." Oh, I um, like it. And um, but then my publisher realized that nobody had put out a book that was just titled Cheddar, so okay, um, so, so we just went for that, mm-hmm. and um, and then added the subtitles to kind of give people an idea of mm-hmm. what might be inside. Mm-hmm. So uh, hopefully well, that the, works. What I'm calling the pre-title, which is above the title, is a journey to the heart of America's most iconic cheese. But then, what is the subtitle, which I think tells more of what the book is about, says and what it can tell us about our history, cultural identity, and food politics. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's what it says. Hopefully it <laughs> delivers, too. <laughs> I think it does. I think it does. I mean, I think that, um, that cheddar, is, uh, cheddar is a really interesting topic to look into, and mm-hmm. I feel like, um, you know, as someone who's been in the cheese world for 20-plus years, mm-hmm. you know, it's something that we often overlook as as cheese people because, you know, there's so many exciting things going on in, in the cheese world. But, you know, cheddar has really dominated American cheese uh, making for so long, and it's something we take for granted. And I really think that, that when you kind of look into something that you otherwise take for granted, I, I feel like you can, it can show a lot of really revealing things. Um, and so that was it's kind of the mission, uh, the mission of the book. Okay, well, I have some questions about that. It's a very ambitious and interesting book. I know you talk in the book about 
how you got the idea. But can you tell us on the radio, when did you know there would be a second book? <laughs> you know, I, I have to say, after, after writing the first book, um, you know, I, when it came out, you know, you kind of think, if you write a book, you kind of think, oh, great, it's out, I'm kind of done. Right. Um, but what I didn't realize was that I, I spent the entire whole next year you know, basically working two jobs, which was my you know regular job at Rainbow Grocery, um, and then doing a full time job trying promoting to promote the book. The book. Um, you know, traveling, doing doing cheese events, doing cheese classes. I did something like I had probably nearly fifty events. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all told after that. And I got to say, if you'd asked me in that year if I was going to write another book, I would have said no way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> um, because you know, unless somebody was going to guarantee that it would you know provide a livable income for years, um, you know, it was just um, it was a lot. It was basically doing two jobs at once. Right, and you're um, not paid mm-hmm. for that second job. Uh, I'm sorry. You're not paid for touring and and promoting. Oh yeah, no. I mean, my publisher had a small amount of money to publicize the book, but most mm-hmm. of that was out of pocket. And right. you know, I think that you know the other thing about books like this, especially books on um, independent presses, is you know, you um, if you want to make money, you should just work more at your regular job. Mm-hmm. You know, this is definitely uh, more of a labor of love. <laughs> but um, but you know, at some point after I was kind of done promoting the last book, you know, I got the itch again, and I was. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out, you know, what, you know, what, what was out there to be said that, you know, other people handle doing the, the, the how cheese is made. Other people handle the, like, you know, the, the coffee table books or the nice picture books. You know, it's just not my, my strength. So I, I said, you know, what's something that I can look into that would be helpful to the cheese community that, you know, something I'm also interested in. And, you know, I, I think that, that there's two things that really kind of spurred me on. Um, you know, one was visiting the, um, the uh, the Golden Giant um, in Wisconsin, which is uh, you know was supposedly a uh, replica of the world's largest cheese from the New York World's Fair that was made in Wisconsin, um, you know, and I went you know the story is better told in the book, but basically I you know I went, went hundreds of miles out of my way with a friend a to wild see goose the, chase. The, the the monument to the Golden Giant, and um, you know we got there we we're really excited. Well, I was really excited. My friend was humoring me, and um, she does not work in the cheese business, and. Um, <laughs> we got there, and you know it's a beautiful trailer. It has the trailer that actually took the cheese to the fair. It's this mm-hmm. beautiful glass trailer that's refrigerated, but inside was just a wooden crate. You know uh-huh. that was it. <laughs> it was like there wasn't even a styrofoam uh, painted orange uh, a cheddar. You know, and in I was the like, crate. I was like, this is the monument to cheddar. Uh-huh. You know, kind of in my head, and that's that was kind of one of the ways that it really mm-hmm. clicked for me was. You know, cheddar kind of deserves some kind of monument, some mm-hmm. kind of uh, mm-hmm. thing. And I, I'm not a monument builder, so I decided to work on a book about it. So that's uh, my next question was when and why did cheddar get the call? Well, you know, if you look at um, the history of cheddar, um, and there's many different parts we can talk about, but the part that, that initially interested me um, was, you know, if you look at, at in 1851, um, that's when cheddar started to become a factory-made cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 1851, you know, the Williams family in, in upstate New York, in Rome, New York, um, they built what is usually called the first cheese factory, um, first cheddar factory. Um, and the, um, what it did is it really it started the, um, the trend to take cheese off the farm um, make it a professional job, and kind of lead the way. You know, and America's really good, especially at that time period, um, in, uh, in, in making things um, go from artisan into factory production. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the uh, the 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 systematizing, the make process, um, the cheese itself, um, all these things really led to it becoming, you know, the first industrial cheese, um, you know, in the United States and really dominating um, the, the cheese market in the United States. I mean, for, for 150 years, cheddar was the most popular cheese mm-hmm. um, in this country. So to me, you know, it seemed really like there was an, it was an obvious thing to look into um, to really learn and, and talk more about our food system in general, as well as cheese in particular, mm-hmm. you know, and also, also I love cheddar. Right. I mean, you know, right. <laughs> there's definitely that aspect to it. Um, you know, and I, I had some other mysteries to solve and things like that, but I think that was, that was the impetus is okay. like, you know, how, how did we, how did we get to where we are in the cheese world these days? Mm-hmm. And cheddar seemed to be the answer. Right. Well, just to fill people in who haven't even thumbed through the book yet, it includes, I'd say, excellent cheese history, food industry history, food politics, taste politics, probably your politics (laughs) as well. Did you set out? Did you know it was going to be so all-encompassing? Well, I I couldn't think of any other cheese that would be more encompassing, more encompassing, more easy, easily so, encompassing. So I would ho- I hoped you know there were some things that I was you know honestly there was other parts that um that uh, that I couldn't even get into um, partly for lack of time and partly because mm-hmm. they were a little more tangential, but um, it seemed to be something that you know on the one level it's it everybody you know pretty much everybody in the country um you know at one point or another has tried cheddar right. so it's something very relatable, it, relatable it. right. but it's also something that's very much um been been mm-hmm. everywhere so it could talk about a lot of things right right how much research did you do uh, on the road versus in books or on the internet you know I um I visited a number of places um I actually uh uh you know I wish I could have visited more. I mean, there's so many places to visit, and there's so little money mm-hmm. <laughs> in bookmaking. You know, right. um, you know, I, I did some stuff off of you know other cheese trips, but you know, but some I really did seek out to make trips. Um, I would say, you know, time-wise, um, the visiting of places. You know, I probably spent over the last three years you know, maybe two or three months visiting places. Uh-huh. Um, that might be a high estimate, but somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the reading was a constant thing. Uh-huh. That, was, um, that was something I was, I spent, I spent much of my advance, the, the advance that I didn't spend traveling, I spent on buying out-of-print cheese books. <laughs> so. Now you have a lovely collection, I bet. I do have a great collection now. <laughs> so maybe your next book can be found in those books too. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. I, you know. I, you know. Again, I think. You know. I think I'm on an every five year schedule. Okay. So I'll have to okay. sit and think about what the next one will right. be. <laughs> what were your favorite parts uh, to either research or write? Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think that. You know, it's always it's always you know for me more fun to 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 talk about anecdotes. I I um I, I, this funny thing where you know I tell the story of where um you know this is something that was really shocking to me as someone who's even though I've been involved in cheese for a long time that um you know by the by the mid late 1800s United States was exporting cheese. Um, and exporting cheddar, and exporting cheddar to England. Now, that's um, one of my questions. It, it's amazing to me yeah. that we were exporting large amounts of cheddar to England. What started it? What stopped it? 
Well, you know, what started is, is was the industrial production, um, you know, in, in America. You know, there, there, was, there was also farm production that was getting exported to some extent. But, mm-hmm. but, you know, there was just a lot more cheddar being produced here, and there wasn't enough cheddar being produced in England to meet demand. And they had um, not gotten to factory production? No, I mean England definitely. I mean there there was I didn't really research that as extensively, but it was much slower to adapt and you know that made sense if you think of mm-hmm. you know a country that's already kind of established and uh, and another country that is continually expanding. Um, right. You know, I mean the reason that Wisconsin became a mass, you know, a, a, a ch- you know cheddar mecca, you know, was because um you know the that originally Wisconsin was all wheat and they it was too much monoculture they ruined the soil in the 1800s and they needed to do something else mm-hmm. um and so that just happened to be the time that um factory cheese production was was kind of something to do okay. um and that's what they did to and fix you know, the, kind of the rest is history to fix the but, land um, but in terms of writing you know the story you know it's the United States was exporting all this cheddar to um, to England, but um, some people got greedy um, and they started doing what um, <laughs> what's called um, filled milk cheese. Ah, uh, yes, um, and, and that means you replace the butter fat um, with some kind of oil or oleo or something like that. You know, which is a much cheaper way to produce it, but is also a much less good product. Um, and, and so they and, started uh, they, cheating. Basically, they were cheating. That kind of. Um, that kind of cheese making, that filled milk cheese, mm-hmm. um, ruined the market for American cheese in England, um, and and pretty much, uh, you know, to a large extent, ended um, the export market for U.S. cheese uh, to Europe and England. You know, until very recently, when we've had a few of our our best new um, smaller production cheesemakers, you know, kind of exporting to to fancy shops. And that's been um, difficult. That hasn't been easy to do. Oh, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, Europe in general does not want our cheese, it seems to me. Well, yeah, and uh, but that's the historical reason for it. You okay, know, it's seen as, seen as seen as low quality. I mean, I'm not sure you, if you asked somebody why they think American cheese would be low quality. Um, you know, uh, they would know if you if you know they were in Europe. But you know, historically, you know, you start a reputation like that, and it's really hard to right. uh, to rebuild it. So it was basically too processed. We were we were jipping them. <laughs> Yeah, we were definitely uh, definitely ripping them off a little bit. <laughs> but you know, but the funniest part of the, of the writing the way the question you asked about that was was that I thought I had used an anecdote. It's it's hard to remember sometimes because you know you write a lot and uh-huh. then you cut a lot. Right. And I thought I had put in this anecdote in the book um, about working the counter and being approached by this person trying to sell me filled milk cheese in the nineties. And I had no idea at that point, you know, not knowing the history of, of cheddar, not mm-hmm. knowing the history of the export, um, you know, cheese market, you know, that this was a thing. Uh-huh. Um, I, I mean, I'd never even heard of what it was, and um, and I didn't understand it. And, and kind of going back and just reliving that experience was hilarious, especially now that I kind of know the background of the cheese. And it was pretty much illegal in the United States for, uh, I mean, it wasn't technically, but it was nobody was producing it for, uh, you know, for decades um, until it became legal again in the 70s mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um but it, you know there's not a real market for it i mean i don't know if anybody's making it these days right what were the hardest parts of the book to write or or think about um I, you know i think that um 
on some level, the hardest part is always like thinking, oh, that's a really funny anecdote, but it might make somebody look bad, (laughs) you know, so I can't use it, even though it would be really funny. Uh Um, But that's, you know, that's my own self, uh, self editing. But, uh, but, you know, I think the hardest part, honestly, I mean, the hardest part of writing is just reading something for the 15th, 20th time and Uh trying to like going over it, going, going Uh over it and just trying to make sure it makes sense. Make sure it's it's coming across the way you want it to, and and um, and that it, that it works. I wouldn't say there's any particular section that was harder than than others. I would mm-hmm. say that I'd say if I had to pick one, it was probably just the the chapter where I try to address what is cheddar. Um, okay. Um, because I, you know things have to get a little more technical in that chapter, and and it's really easy as a non scientist um, to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, as a non cheesemaker right. or non dairy scientist, you know, it's really easy to like mix up a couple things and then say something really dumb so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well i want the listeners to know that there there are chapters about wisconsin vermont california history politics there's everything in this book really uh i just reread the final chapters that you kind of get into your political stuff which were excellent but one um small small but giant example is (laughs) What this book did for me was I was getting ready for the interview and I checked out the pictures of Henning's mammoth wheels online. Uh, uh. And they're hilarious. They're gigantic. (laughs) (laughs) There's one that is 3,500 pounds. Yeah, you know, um, and they still, they, you know, Henning's, I was just there three weeks ago. Oh, cool. Um, you know, and we walked through their, their uh, you know, their warehouse. And, uh-huh. you know, there's, How there's many of those do they have? None, none that are quite that big, okay. you know, in stock okay. right now. But, I mean, you, you know, you tomorrow could order a 3,000-pound, you know, Henning's Mammoth Cheddar, you know, and it would take a little while to make it and right. age it. But, right. It did say yeah. wholesale only. <laughs> yeah, and it's, your, it's, uh, it's a special thing, right? And your <laughs> description people tend to like it. Your description of when you first got the giant cheddar in your store long ago, and you're <laughs> trying to figure out how to cut it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think I said, you know, we were like a bunch of dudes sitting around pretending we knew uh, how, to, how to fix a car, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to cut this thing. Right. And, you know, nothing in my cheese career has prepared me uh-huh. for knowing how to how to cut into and maintain a 500-pound uh, cheddar until you sell it, mm-hmm. especially if you want to put it on display. Right. And, uh, which, is, of course, is why you buy right. a mammoth cheddar. Right. <laughs> you don't buy it to take up space in your backstock area. Right. Um, and you know we you know we figured out a way, but I can't, you know I can't say it was my proudest moment. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. I think you should illustrate that with a video because it was hard to exactly imagine where the nails were going in the board <laughs> and how you were turning it around to get the slice of cheddar. But anyway, yeah, no, I mean the, the, the only the, the only way we could figure out how to score the rind was to very lightly um, take you know uh, a piece of wood, hammer a couple nails into it, and break the uh, the plane. I mean, you know, it's funny because now, you know, I would think, oh, you know, clearly you'd score it, you know, maybe even with like, you know, a Parmesan knife or whatever. Uh-huh. But, you know, we didn't even have a Parmesan knife right. back then. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, this is back in 1996 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, you know, definitely I feel like uh, the cheese world has, has made leaps and bounds since then in understanding how to care for right. uh, cheese. Mm-hmm. Do you know which aspects readers are finding the most interesting as you're touring about? 
Or are they, are well, they mostly you know, I think not having read it yet? This kind of thing, you know, they, when I do readings and events, I always try to read the fun stuff. Right. Because it's just, you know, it's, it just doesn't work um, mm-hmm. trying to read either something with facts and figures right. or something really serious in that kind of setting because people, it's hard for them to keep concentrating on that. Yes. So I would say that um, I, some of the best advice I was given with the first book was treat your readings like it's the C, it's like the DVD extras. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. um, so I read some fun things. I read like a poem that I didn't put in the book uh-huh. um, that, that's an ode on a mammoth cheddar uh, by James McIntyre, mm-hmm. um, which everybody loves that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that in terms of reading it, um, people respond to different things. I mean, I had, I had um, somebody who interviewed me and, um, for, a, for a newspaper, and, and they actually couldn't fit it in their story, but they were like, oh, my God, your food politics uh, chapter you know, it was one of the best I've ever read about right. this. And it's somebody who's working on those kind of issues, and it mm-hmm. didn't really fit into the interview, but they were like, thank you, that was awesome. Oh, good. Um, but other people are, you know, also just, you know, they like they like the cheese stories. They like the, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's some stories like there were in the first book about just working the counter. Right. And, you know, right. cheese cheese workers really appreciate those. Right. So. Well, it's super educational, but, but um, fun, and your impish voice comes through. <laughs> we have to take a break, so we'll be right back on Cutting the Curd with Gordon Edgar talking about cheddar. helps to bring profitability to local orchards while reviving heirloom apple varieties by cultivating awareness of craft cider. Cider Week connects cider makers from New York State and select pioneering guest cideries outside the state to buyers from top restaurants, bars, and retail shops across New York City. Those culinary tastemakers, in turn, help increase consumer awareness of cider's pleasures by hosting public events, tastings, dinners, classes, and pairings that build appreciation and demand for regional ciders. The dairy farm families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. Hi, it's Diane Stemple, back on Cutting the Curd with Gordon Edgar. Gordon, are you back? I'm here. Okay, great. Well, interestingly enough, my next question is about Wisconsin, and we just had an ad about how great Wisconsin cheese is. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about some misconceptions about Wisconsin cheese? I, for one, was shocked to hear that the average number of cows on a Wisconsin farm is less than 100. I don't know. I thought they were bigger. 
Yeah, you know, I, Wisconsin, I mean, Wisconsin, you know, for cheddar, first of all, is really an important state, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Wisconsin, yeah, I've had a lot of interest in this book in Wisconsin radio and not food shows, but just, you know, people in Wisconsin, they, they love cheddar. They mm-hmm. love cheddar. Um, but, you know, they, I think they have, um, they have 60 different cheddar makers just in Wisconsin. Um, and are those and, master master cheesemakers or just um, I'm companies. not sure how many of those are master cheesemakers. I know there's that many plants. Um, mm-hmm. I think many of them are master cheesemakers for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, um, you know, Wisconsin, when it lost the, uh, the kind of fluid dairy battle to California, um, which, by the way, California averages 850 cows per I dairy. I know. That's um, shocking. Yeah, and, you know, and the U.S. average is, um, is 175 or 172, mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, it just shows the dis- the disparity in the in in size of the farm. Sorry, my schnauzer's a little upset at something um, <laughs> about Wisconsin, no doubt. <laughs> um, but uh, but you know, okay. You know, this is this is live radio right here. Here you exactly. go. Exactly, we've got dogs. <laughs> Somebody knocked on the door, and the schnauzer's going crazy. Um, but the um, Wisconsin, you know, it, when it kind of lost the fluid milk battle to California, mm-hmm. um, it really. You know, I mean, it's not like a state makes this decision, but, you know, many dairy farmers figured out that to, to survive, they're really going to have to make for, you know, lack of a better term, or use the, you know, general industry term, more specialty cheese mm-hmm. um, um, and not just block cheddar anymore. Okay. Um, I mean, before um, something in the book that I, I, I like to call the cheddar apocalypse, um, you know, there were all these big companies like Kraft or whoever were um, had these whole regional networks of cheesemakers, um, and you know you can make a living making just forty pound blocks of cheddar and shipping them off to Kraft or Armor or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point, you know, those companies, as companies do, uh, you know, expand and consolidate, and um, and you know, many cheddar makers were just given very little notice uh, and told, you know what, we don't need your cheddar anymore. Um, and you know, there's, there's not, you know, there's only so much cheddar you can sell. And I think Wisconsin, you know, in order to be the dairy is so important to the state, mm-hmm. um, really made, you know, Wisconsin farmers really made smart decisions about, you know, getting, you know, keeping their farm size small mm-hmm. and making interesting cheeses mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, using that as a way to stay mm-hmm. in the cheese business and still produce the most cheese in the country. So they got more artisanal as the decades went by. Yeah, well, this is specifically in the last couple of decades, and, okay. and you know, I'd say there's both more artisanal and also more um, kind of, you know, supermarket specialty as well. I, mean, uh-huh. I don't, don't want to mm-hmm. create this picture where it's like everybody just went and started making, you know, Rush Creek. I mean, right, you know, right. somebody started making Rush Creek, made but, you know, a lot of cheddar. other people make, you know, like, you know, flavored cheeses right, and right, things right. like that, but they mm-hmm. definitely couldn't make a living anymore making just 40-pound blocks. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, because, uh, you know, even when ACS met in Wisconsin, that was really helpful to broaden my knowledge and opinion of what was going on in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so your book just adds to the knowledge about what a great uh, dairy state and cheese state Wisconsin is. Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. and it's great. It's great visiting there. I mean, I just I just did a bus tour of, of cheddar 
factories um, a mm-hmm. couple weeks ago, and I, you know, it's you know, cheese. People live cheese there in a way that they just don't anywhere else mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the in the in the U.S. at least. Okay. Now I have another question that I'm embarrassed to ask <laughs> uh, because uh, I should know the answer, but I really feel there are a couple of different answers to this question. What is cheddaring? <laughs> oh, what is cheddaring? What is you know, cheddaring? Question, Not cheddar. You know, it's funny because you know one of the things in the book that I really realized is. It's when you say, what is cheddar, you know, different people have different answers. Yes. And there's, there's people who will say, well, okay, you know, first of all, it's not real cheddar unless it's, you know, made in England and the south of England in a specific mm-hmm. region and made, you know, on a farm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, we're kind of long past that, right. that point. <laughs> right, right, right. And that has a protected designation of origin, that, you know, West Country farmhouse cheddar. Right. But, um, but uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of other cheddar out there. But, you know, when I was talking to people, people would really have these different dividing lines. Yes. Some people would say, um, you know, if you don't uh, mill the curds, right. you know, then it's right. not really cheddar. Right. If you don't actually cheddar, you know, which is basically stacking the right. slabs of curds right. on top of each other to right. uh, exude moisture, you know, to make it so you can... I mean, this is one of the fundamental things of cheddar that made right. it be, be able to become an industrialized product was mm-hmm. that you were able to get more moisture out of the cheese. The cheese could age longer. You could have a quality product that wouldn't rot, um, mm-hmm. that you could also, you know, extend the life of. Right. And, um, and that's kind of the secret of cheddar. That's why, so that's that's why purpose, cheddaring is so important. The purpose of cheddaring. But you right. know what? But, but, but the real definition of cheddar in the United States, um, you know, with the Code of Federal Regulations, is just that it's 50% by weight of solids. The milk fat is 50% by weight of solids, and the maximum moisture is 39%. Oh, wow. I mean, and, so and then anything can be cheddar. To get there, right? You get there. Okay. Now, what I noticed, it's interesting that the name of the show is Cutting the Curds, and the cheddaring goes on right after cutting the curd. <laughs> I think so, but what <laughs> you I, they, you know, I, I guess I should just be a regular feature on the show. Yes, yes, the book, yes. but anyway, so, <laughs> but I see three things. Is it the piling up of the, those blocks? Is it the milling? Is it the pressing again after the milling or is it two or three of those steps? Well, when you're referring to cheddaring in particular, it's the stacking. Okay. Um, okay. The stacking so the piling. The I call that piling. Okay. Piling. Yeah. yeah you know, okay. and I, you know, I call it slabs, and I've been corrected. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not. They're not slabs. But well, you know, <laughs> you know what they look like. Whatever, but, but the, um, but the, uh, you know, the cheddaring is 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 definitely the stacking. Okay. Um, I mean, that's okay. that's what it's referred to in the in the in the process. Okay. But all those things you named are are. Crucially important, and especially crucially important in the late 1800s, mm-hmm. into defining cheddar to be the way it is, to right. kind of differentiate it from Cheshire, or okay. differentiate okay. it from those kind of cheeses. Well, what I want to call the slabs, they look like Tempur-Pedic pillows. <laughs> Yellow. Well, we, could, we could call them that. <laughs> they, they really they do. Tempur-Pedic pillows. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But, you know, online there is some question about what exactly is cheddar, uh, well, cheddaring and cheddar. Mm-hmm. Like they call it the cooking is the cheddaring at at one website I went to. And that didn't even seem like a, it was in the running. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say that. I mean, the scald, you know, is, is yeah. you know, the, the 
you know, the term that I generally use for that. And I'm not a cheddar maker. You know? right, I mean, this right, is, right. You know, this is from reading a lot of cheddar things and talking to a lot of cheddar makers. But um, as I understand it, I mean, the scald, you know, when you, when you, you heat up the, the curds, mm-hmm. um, you know, it helps. You know, all these processes, I mean, every single one that we've named here is all about exuding more whey right. from the curds. Right. And it's all about making it so you can have a longer-lasting cheese. Um, but the scald is, um, you know, is definitely another crucial uh, point mm-hmm. in cheddar and a crucial point in what made it different from cheeses that came before it. Okay. Okay. Can you tell us uh, the story of Dumbarton? I found that story so compelling, even though I half knew it, and I had to run out and buy some immediately. I couldn't stand <laughs> it. <laughs> well, um, yeah, you know, Dunbarton, um, um, the, you know, made by Raleigh Cheese Company um, mm-hmm. in Wisconsin. Um, you know, the, um, the, the family was in the, the cheese business for a long time, as well as in the mill calling business and, and other things. But, you know, they go back generations um, in Wisconsin. And, and, you know, kind of what I was talking about earlier with um, <clears throat> the way that it became very hard to make a living making 40-pound cheeses. Mm-hmm. Uh, making 40-pound blocks of cheddar. I mean, if you think about it, you know, scale production, you know, you've got the Hillmar Cheese Company in, um, in California, which makes a million pounds of cheese a day, um, and they, they knock out, you know, 640-pound blocks, you know, mm-hmm. um, of cheddar and other cheeses. Um, and, you know, they can afford to make a penny a pound and still make a pretty good living. Right. Um, you know, your uh, cheesemaker like the Raleigh's, they can't make a penny a pound on their cheddar right. and survive. Mm-hmm. So um, while Chris was off in school, um, his family decided to shut down the cheddar factory um, mm-hmm. and shut down the cheese factory um, because they kind of just didn't want to cons- – they were, like, seeing the writing on the wall, and they didn't want to consign, uh, you know, Chris to a, a you know, hopeless life of poverty. Uh-huh. Um, About what year was that? They would be. Um, and, um, you know, so – but he came back, and, you know, the family still had the milk calling business. They're still involved in dairy. Um, but, you know, it, you know, he had the cheese-making itch, so he kind of – kind of secretly experimented around, you know, they started making some cheese again. They, you know, it's kind of a long story, but basically, you know, he experimented around in secret with making this cheese, which is basically, um, you know, a, 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 a <clears throat> traditional cheddar, you know, cloth-bound cheddar, but with blue introduced into it mm-hmm. um, on purpose. And, you know, we've all had those great wheels of um, Montgomery cheddar or something yes. like that, where the yes. or, or something, where, you know, the rind cracks and you get that bluing, and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a great treat, even though yes. it's not intentional. Right. Um, but the difference in making it intentional was really creating pretty much a, a new cheese, at least a new cheese for the American market, and, and, um, and, a, and a great new cheese. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. great combination. Um, you know, it's, um, it's something that that, you know, I tasted and was immediately like, oh, yeah, that's, uh-huh. that's an amazing cheese. Um, um, but he kind of had to do it, do it in secret because, you know, the, 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 it, the outlook seemed so bad for cheese making that, um, that the family just wanted to get out of the business. But, uh-huh. you know, you, you got that, that multi-generational cheese making itch. I, just, I guess you just couldn't, couldn't stop it. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of the best of both worlds. And, and someone who doesn't love cheddar or doesn't love blue might indeed love Dumbarton. I think that's absolutely true. You know, true. it's really like it's a cross and it's mellow. Mm-hmm. So it's, it doesn't offend at all. It delights. No, absolutely. And, it, and it's one of those ones that's, I mean, I, you know, I served it, um, I, I tell the story in the book, but, you know, I, tell, I served it for, uh, you know, 
pre-Thanksgiving dinner at my parents' house, and mm-hmm. I hadn't tasted it. I just got it was a free sample that somebody sent me. That mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll just bring this to my parents' house. And um, and uh, I know cheesemongers out there are, are identifying with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's. I brought it over there. I didn't know what to expect, and. Um, I mean, people loved it. I mean, my family um, aren't the most adventurous cheese eaters. You mm-hmm. know, um, my dad. My dad likes really strong cheeses because he grew up in a in a kind of German eating family. But um, the rest of my family, you know, they 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 don't really like a lot of blues. They don't really like a lot of strong cheeses. And um, but boy, that one instead of being the last one left on the plate was like the first one gone. So um, it was uh, it was definitely, I was like, not only do I like this, I like, I can I can see people are going to like this. And, you know, and probably a, a more wide variety at, at family Thanksgiving than your usual cheesemongers. Uh, wait, I, I'm sorry. I, a more it? wide variety at, at your house, at oh, your yeah. home, than your, you know, typical cheesemonger. <laughs> well, you know, we, I definitely, you know, I think that the rule for holidays is always, okay, okay, what didn't sell? Like, I'm going to bring it to my parents. But, uh, <laughs> but I can't bring over, like, five washed-dried cheeses. That won't right, go over very right, well. Right, 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 <laughs> Okay, I have a, a few more questions. Okay. How did your politics inform your mission with this book at first? Well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like... Um, you know, I, I didn't set out for it to have a specific political message. I think that there's always some things that I see in the cheese world that um, that are things that I note, at least. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of those is, you know, what, how, what's the relation between urban... Um, you know, I mean, it's this, it's this thing. We live in this very divided country politically. Yes. Um, and we have... Our food is made in rural areas, and our you know, the high-end food is getting sold in, you know, upscale cities, right. you know, and, and I was like, how does this all work together, you yeah. know, and, um, and that's always been uh, a thing I've been interested in. Um, the, you know, the other aspect, I think, is that, um, you know, I, I always, I've always seen a parallel between living in a city like San Francisco, which is, you know, being rapidly, rapidly gentrified and incredibly mm-hmm. gentrified, um, so as, you know, many people who I work with have, you know, lost their apartments and had to move out of the city. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those people, you know, we probably lose more people at our store in terms of turnover for people who've been evicted and have to move mm-hmm. than we do because they choose to take another job in the Bay Area. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, so I see that and then I see a parallel. I see a parallel. I don't know if other people do, but I see a parallel between that. And when you talk to um, a number of uh Farmers out there, especially long-term farmers and cheese, you know, dairy farmers, cheesemakers, who are in areas who now have the sprawl has kind of arrived at their back door, mm-hmm. and um, and then all of a sudden, uh, people who are new to the area start complaining about manure smells or, or other things mm-hmm. like that. And um, I always think those things are worth exploring. You know, where's where's the things that we have in common? What can we what can we you know say about these things that we might have in common that we might not think about? Mm-hmm. Um, I've also, you know, on the other hand of the argument, you know, I, I, I think there's always this, um, this foodie impulse uh, to say, you know, oh, you should pay more for food. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I work at a store that, you know, is committed to, um, you know, we sell high-end stuff, but, you know, we're committed to serving everybody in San Francisco right. and also having lower-cost options. Mm-hmm. And um, so you just want people telling, to be able to telling eat. someone who can barely afford 
you know, to live in their apartment, mm-hmm. um, you know, that they should be sp- spending more on cheese, otherwise they're a bad person, is mm-hmm. you know, just not going to fly. Right. You know? yeah. So I'm always interested in exploring that, mm-hmm. that dichotomy. Okay. I have another political question, a little bit different. How were your politics challenged by what you discovered? Well, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't view my politics as a never-changing thing. I mean, I feel like a lot of this was about... Um, you know, examining this and stuff mm-hmm. that I I don't know about. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of aspects of this book that I had to learn. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think the cheddar make process being one of them. I mean, I had a general idea, but right. <laughs> but um, you know, but there's a lot of things in terms of um, you know, um, I don't know. I, th- I think that, that the most challenging thing is is over and over again. It's the it's what I mentioned in the answer to the last question. But isn't the the urban rural divide and mm-hmm. um, and trying to translate what you think and what makes sense in a city um, to the ways that people who don't live in cities, you know, with things that make sense to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about like social issues here. I mean, I mean like you know survival. Uh, you know, yeah, survival. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. we have. You know, we have many things in common, and we have some things that are that are different. Right. And um, and you know, to me, that's that's always challenging because the stakes are high. You know, it's yeah. um, we're talking about both of our survivals, and you know, not to be all preachy, but I think that you know that we have to figure out in this country a way for those bridges to be, you know, <laughs> for those gaps to be bridged mm-hmm. because you know, there's you know, we got some serious issues. You know, yeah, we certainly and, um, do. And I think that you know. You know, my job, you know, day to day is to sell cheese. My, um, my, you know, overall like moral issue is to figure out a way that helps you know urban people survive and helps rural people survive. And um, and I think that learning more about this kind of you know these kind of histories of like you know why did people choose to get you know we can romanticize you know the the small production family farm artisan cheese making you know but why did people make the decisions to go away from that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. some people made them willingly and some people did not right. but but right. um but you know understanding those things just makes us smarter about it mm-hmm. and it's ideas like that that make your book really good oh well thank you <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for being on the show uh gordon edgar author of cheddar with its both its pre-title and subtitle. And um, I'll be, thank you also to Liz Smith for engineering the show and John Burt for my cheese song. And thank you, Gordon. It's been great to talk to you again. It's a great, I love that cheese song, too. I was, I was, I was humming it to myself <laughs> oh, along good. with it. So oh, that, good. that was great. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. <laughs> Bye. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.